0: Before we get too deep into it, I got uh, I I didn't know they. Did you all know that we have dessert sometimes after Wednesday nights? I just got that word. You know, sermon could be a lot shorter if you tell me that there's going to be dessert over there. You got to adjust. Yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, let's pray. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, if you'd open up to the Book of Exodus, chapter nine, I want to remind everyone. Our, uh, our yard sale is coming up this weekend. So again, if you're able to to help out on uh, Friday, we'll be here all day Friday getting it set up. So we invite anyone else who would like to be tortured along with us to come on out and and enjoy the time together with us. Uh, so Exodus chapter 9. You remember as we began our journey in Exodus that uh, that God has done some very specific things as we go through. And And it's important for us that we realize and recognize as we go through the Old Testament. The Old Testament wasn't written and then suddenly it's not good for us anymore. You know, and we should just be in the New Testament. Because Jesus told us through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that all these things that we're reading about were given to us so that we might learn. So that we might learn from the mistakes that were made before us. You guys remember... Uh, how it was for you when your, when your dad told you about how you don't want to do this because I had already done it. And most of us took that road anyway, though, didn't we? That, that, that path less traveled. Yeah. I didn't learn from that. But see, when we get a chance to go back and study the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus is going to lay out several things for us. For example, if you would just consider for a moment, we've already gone through four plagues. And at the end of... of the, the last three plagues, Pharaoh tried to make a compromise, right? Remember, he would say, well, okay, you can go and you can worship the Lord, but just the men. Or you can go worship the Lord, but just do it here. Or you can go worship... And then isn't that so similar to our walk In this world, doesn't the world tell us when we want to separate ourselves, when we want to step out and walk the way God is calling us to walk, doesn't the world say, oh, don't get too serious about that, or just stay here, just just put a little bit of your heart into it, or not everything, leave your kids behind, or leave your wives behind, or leave your husbands behind, all those different things that the world tells us. But what does Moses say over and over again, we're going to see it tonight, we will not leave one hoof behind. Not one hoof. Lock, stock, and barrel, moving forward with the Lord. And as we study, we're going to see how God is preparing the children of Israel. Remember, when they first got there, Moses shows up on the scene. He goes and talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh makes life a little harder for the children of Israel. And what do we see him doing? Complaining, ready to give in right away. But we're going to watch them grow. They're not going to be perfect, just like we're not perfect. But we're going to grow. And all of our failures are going to lead us to a place where hopefully the next time around that mountain, we make the right decision. And God charges us, doesn't He, with the job of teaching these things to our children. So that our children can also learn from the, from the road that we've walked. That they might not go the same way. That they might maybe take a, a, a quicker journey. But if nothing else, that they would learn when they fall... Will God take them back? Every time. Every time. So let's take a look. Exodus chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Now we've read that before, haven't we? Because here again, I wonder if Moses ever felt like this. Lord, do I really have to go say it again? Do I really have to go talk to Pharaoh again? But do you remember when God called Moses? Didn't he say Pharaoh's not going to let him go? He's not going to let him go until the end. Until we get all the way to the very end of all these things. And God told Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 4. God said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. And if you won't let my firstborn go, I'll take yours. Before everything began... The first time Moses stood before Pharaoh, Pharaoh was told that. And you remember, Pharaoh hardened his heart. No, he didn't want to have anything to do with that. So Pharaoh is on that journey. And so often for us, we need to realize as we go along our journey, every day that we face the things we face, it is the way it is. And we need to trust God. Hey, this circumstance that I find myself in is part of God's plan for my life. And I'm going to trust God in this circumstance. Because God is developing in me character. And I don't know. Sometimes the things we go through are for us, right? Sometimes it's for our neighbor. Sometimes we can't even see what it is that God is doing. But can we trust that God knows what he's doing? and and put our faith and trust in him and go move forward in our exodus as we seek don't we to set aside the old man and put on the new and be moving forward as long as we're moving forward we're not falling behind right every day one more step one more step toward the lord one more step in the direction that he wants us to go so pharaoh he gets another chance moses goes to him yet again He says to him in verse 2, For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, and on the horses and the donkeys and the camels, on the oxen and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. Now you remember as we've been going through the plagues, each one of the plagues is, is pointed or aimed at one of the deities of Egypt. Egypt had two deities that dealt with cattle. Hathor was one of them. Hathor was a cow. Uh, uh, you know, Egypt would do this thing where they'd have a man with a cow's head. or And you probably have seen the one uh, uh, Apis, which is the man with the bull's head. Apis and Hathor are the two gods. Apis was the god of strength and might. Hathor was another god of, or goddess of fertility. And this is historical fact. Uh, One of the enemies, which the Egyptians did battle against, brought out a, a herd of cattle and put it before their armies. And the Egyptians would not attack them. Because they believed every year Apis and Hathor were reborn in a cattle, in a cow. And cows were holy to them. So they wouldn't do battle and so it's interesting, isn't it, when we take a look at this and we see this judgment against these two gods. You remember when Moses gets to Mount Sinai and he goes to the top and he's face-to-face with God for 40 days at least? And the children of Israel, they're back on the ground wondering, well, whatever happened to Moses? Remember what they made? Golden calf, right? Fallen right in line with either worshiping the, the God of strength. And they were attributing, they are trying to attribute you know, this is, our, this is really the God of the universe, but God has, was just telling Moses, right, not to make any graven images. And, and already before the law could come down the mountain, the children of Israel were falling back into something that they had seen while they were in Egypt. Well, here God's going to judge those two gods with this next plague that we see coming upon the land. And the Lord, in verse 4, will make a difference between the livestock of Israel... And the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So the Lord continues to make the distinction. He continues to make a distinction between the people of uh, of his of his land, the people of God, children of Israel, and of the nation of Egypt. What's he saying? Listen, your god Hathor, your god Apis, the god of strength, the goddess of fertility—they're not real. Because look what's going to take place. But the God, the most high, God most high, over the, the, the children of Israel, we're going to see that that nothing happens in there. God is showing himself to the Egyptians. Is it all about him trying to bring Pharaoh low? In fact, the Lord's going to tell us the whole purpose behind Pharaoh being where he is was so that God could show himself to the Egyptians. So he could say, Here I am. This is me. I'm real. I exist. And provide an opportunity to that nation. So the Lord makes a distinction. In verse 5, And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. And so Pharaoh, he sent He sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Stubborn guy, isn't he? Stubborn, stubborn, just like any of us can be stubborn, isn't he? And he continues to harden his heart, harden his heart. And we know the Lord is going to establish that hard heart. We're going to see God harden his heart at times. We're going to see Pharaoh harden his heart at times. And it should be a sobering thought as we take a look at what the Scriptures is laying out for us. That just like where Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, there comes a time where God turns you over to, the, to those desires of your heart. He turns you over to the, to the way that you're directing, the choice that you're making. And we're going to see that very thing taking place with Pharaoh. So, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron... Take for yourself a handful of ash from the furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. Again, no warning. We're going to see two plagues with warning and a plague without. Two plagues with warning, plague without. We're going to see this pattern as we go through. But as we consider this... We're going to see Moses beginning to step up. We're going to see Moses. Prior to this, you know, Moses told Aaron and Aaron's done it. But now God said, Moses, you throw it up. Moses, you scatter the ash out of the furnace. It says in verse 9, It will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took the ashes... From the furnace. Well, it's important that we recognize what's going on. It's not just any old furnace. Okay? This is a particular furnace in Egypt that was used for human sacrifice. It was a, a furnace called the furnace of typhoon. And Typhoon was a a god that they worshipped with human sacrifice. And the ashes that they're taking out of this furnace are ashes that had been used or were part of a human sacrifice. So God is judging the god Typhoon here, among others. He's going to judge Imhotep as well. And he's going to take these ashes from the furnace and stand before Pharaoh. And who? Moses scattered them toward the heaven. And they cause boils that break out in sores on man and on beasts. So we see Moses beginning to become the instrument. Moses beginning to, to step out and be more involved rather than just kind of behind the scenes. And we're going to see him take that responsibility more and more as we move forward from this point. So as they stand before Pharaoh... No warning, no question, nothing given. They throw the ash up in the air. The ash that becomes a dust, it touches everyone. And whomever is touched instantly breaks out on their body, boils and sores. So Imhotep was the god of medicine. The god of medicine. You'll remember the magicians haven't been able to do anything since the lice. And then remember I told you, because of the lice, they couldn't worship. They couldn't worship if they had disease on them. They couldn't worship if they were covered in boils. All of these things would stop all of their worship and point to the fact that their god of medicine, Imhotep, or the god Typhoon to whom they had sacrificed, made human sacrifices so that they would have prosperity, both of those things, both of those gods are being judged in this, at this time. And so they throw the ash up. And it says in verse 11, The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That's a sad time, isn't it? When a person reaches a place where through rejection or hardening of their heart, through constantly turning a deaf ear to the Word of God, God turns them over. And we see this happening in the life of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's choice is made now. Pharaoh's road is set. His path is laid out before him. I'm always reminded of that all the times. I I try not to put no and God in the same sentence, it's probably not a good idea. You know, we sing a song, right? Uh, trading my sorrows where we sing yes lord yes lord that's how it ought to be when god calls us as the lord directs us when god speaks to us but remember what pharaoh's first words were who's the lord that i should listen to him who is he what's been happening since then god showed him i'm greater than all the gods that you worship i'm greater than them all and so the lord continues to lay this out with him The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. See, God is saying, listen, you wanted to know who I am. Here it is, over and over and over again, evidence of who God is. But folks, miracles don't save anybody. Miracles show us a faith that already existed. That's all miracles do. If you won't receive the Word of God, then... You'll find some other way to attribute what took place in the miracles. I remember when, when uh, the Lord was, was working in my life, and I think I, I shared a little bit last week when Kathy and I were going through some hard times, and I had been diagnosed with HIV, and I, the, the doctors all said I had HIV for about a year, right? About a year. And so I was going to different doctors and getting on different regimen to see whether or not I was going to be able to live with that disease. But the Lord brought us to a point one day, I still have the letter, that the Marine Corps sent a letter. Because all that time that I was going to all those doctors in the hospital in Bethesda, uh, all that stuff that we were doing, they were continuing doing tests and trying out treatments, doing all this stuff. And while they were doing all those things, we got a letter about a year later that said, "We don't know what happened, but there's no HIV in your system anywhere. N- the last several tests have come back negative and it's it's gone." You know, they don't in the military, they don't try to explain things. They just say, "On this date you were HIV positive, on this date you weren't." So, have a nice day. And uh I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, man, you're not going to believe what happened. You know, I guess this was all just some big mistake. And my dad said, I want to tell you a story, son, about a fellow that was working up on a roof. He was working up on this roof, and he's laying shingles, and it was a a high-pitched roof. And as he's laying that roofing down, all of a sudden, he, he lost his footing, and he began to slide. And as he's sliding, he's picking up speed, and he's trying to get a grip on the, on the roof somewhere, but it's all been papered, and he's just sliding down to the end. So he cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And right before he goes off the edge, his belt loop catches a nail that was sticking at the edge and stops him. And he's able to get back up on the roof. And he said, Whew, sure was lucky that nail was there. And my dad said, so which one are you? Are you the one who says, sure was lucky that nail was there and doesn't see the hand of God in the different things that come into your life? Or are you the one who sees the hand of God working in your life, bringing you to the place where you need to be? And I want to be the one who sees the hand of God. I want to be the one who, who recognized, I cried out to the Lord and He was there. Who cares it was a nail? What if I hadn't prayed? Was the nail still there? I don't know. The point is I did pray. And the nail caught me. The point is I did put my hands in God's hands. Kathy and I sat on a couch one night. There's nothing we could do. The situation we were in, it is what it is. This, is. this is, you know, the direction that we're going now. We just laid our lives down with God. Lord, it's yours. I shared with someone one time, I, I always look at it like, like, you know that boy who came to Jesus with the lunch? You know, Andrew brought him when the Jesus fed the 5,000. You ever wonder, because all the disciples were saying, Lord, we can't find, you know, not enough food. We, even if we went and bought food, there wouldn't be enough food. Just let the people go. But Andrew comes. I wonder if that little boy come up to Andrew. Maybe he overheard Jesus. I don't know. And he says, well, Jesus can have my lunch. Because you know how little kids are, right? A little kid hears, hey, we need some food. Well, here, you know, I have a brownie. Uh, You can have my lunch, mister. And and Jesus, with that childlike faith, fed 5,000. And I think Jesus calls each of us at some point in our lives to bring our lives to him like that little boy brought his lunch in our basket. Now, maybe our basket that is full of our life is all messed up. Maybe it's all broken. Maybe it's all sideways. Maybe it's upside down. I always looked at mine like it was just a pile of ash. I had burned everything that I could possibly burn, and all I had was ash to give. But didn't Jesus promise, through the prophet in Isaiah chapter 61, to give us beauty for ashes? The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So we come to Him. That, that day, Kathy and I, we just laid our lives down for Jesus. You know, I don't know how much there is left. I don't know what good it is but we're giving it to you and God answered our cry he heard our prayer we want to be those who will constantly give the glory to the Lord constantly looking for the fingerprint of God in our life Pharaoh doesn't want to see any of that Pharaoh's had all these opportunities but because he won't receive the word when, when Moses comes and says, this is what God has said. Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord that I should listen to him? Why would Pharaoh say that? Listen, guys, who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was raw. In, uh, 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 raw is not what I was thinking, was it? He's, he's not in wrestling, is he? I don't know. Anyway, that's bad. He was, he was the God. The God. Ra, He was the sun God incarnate in the flesh. So who who is the Lord that I should listen to Him? I'm a God. Well, God's going to deal with that. He's going to deal with that as well. So the Lord goes on to describe it to him in verse 15. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. Listen, when God gave Pharaoh choice, when the Lord gave unto Pharaoh, now, God created the circumstances that were going to require pharaoh to make a decision but god is not responsible for the defi- the decision that pharaoh made god knew the choice that pharaoh was going to make and god was going to confirm his choice you you make your choice pharaoh and that's where you're going to be but god did god wipe them all out did he or did he step back and say i'm going to give you a chance When Pharaoh, folks, stands before Almighty God at the great white throne judgment, he will declare that God's judgments are righteous, just like every other person that that is at that judgment. The Bible declares in the book of Revelation, at that point when we come to the great white throne, when all the living and the dead, the unsaved, come before God in judgment, they will declare his judgment righteous. Because God will have given them opportunity. And they will have made their choice. And there won't be any backing out of it. But God, couldn't God have, instead of going through all these plagues, couldn't He have just said, bam, you're done. And they had all just disappeared. When God wanted the children of Israel to come into the land of Canaan, did He have to give them 400 years to repent? Or could He have just said, that's it, boom, you're done, and they're all gone. He could have done that. But that's not the kind of God we serve. We serve a God of long-suffering. We serve a God that withholds His judgment. And aren't we thankful He withheld His judgment? Because that's what made room for you and me. That we would be a part of God's family. So, this is what the Lord is saying to Pharaoh. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared... In all the earth. I want you to think about this. In a few books, I'm sure we'll be there in a relatively short period of time. We will be in Joshua. And we'll watch Joshua enter, cross the Jordan to do battle in Jericho, right? And he's going to send in two slaves and they're going to run into a woman named Rahab. And what is Rahab going to say? She's going to say, we have heard of all the things your God did in Egypt. The whole world is hearing about what God was doing with the children of Israel. And she would say to the two spies, we're scared to death. Because they believe your God is the true and living God. So what did those two spies tell Rahab? Here, Rahab, here is a scarlet thread. You hang it out of your window. And what? Whoever comes into your room will be saved. You think she told anybody? How many people you think she went to in Jericho and said, Hey, they're going to come and they're going to take us. But if you'll just come into my room, if you'll just stand here, I got this little thread hanging out my window and we're all going to be okay. And how many of them you think go, Yeah, that's not going to work. Just like when God told Moses to stand up the, the rod with the serpent when the fiery serpents come through. And the children of Israel are dying of the poison of the snakes. And Moses is shouting to the children of Israel, Just look at the pole and you'll be saved. Oh, come on, give me a shot. There's got to be more to it than that, right? Just like when we say all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And what? You will be saved got to be more than that don't I have to go door to door don't I have to do this or that or add something else it's the same thing and it's the same long-suffering God from exodus we still see today God hasn't changed he says he is immutable I change not the Lord said same God same merciful God same graceful God that we see today he said, I lifted up Pharaoh for this purpose so they he could show himself to the whole world. Sometimes we have to trust that that's the whole purpose behind the things that are happening. Has God proven himself to be trustworthy to you? Is he worthy of your trust? When we see something that we don't understand or we experience something we don't like, has God proven himself to be trustworthy to us? That there's a purpose, a point, a reason. And even if we never know it, will we trust God that He knows what He's doing? He says in verse 17, As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Look, He's saying, I've raised you up for this purpose to show myself mighty because even now you won't let my people go. Let my people go. Pharaoh's making his choice and God's going to hold him to his choice. Verse 18, Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Now, remember, every one of these plagues was a judgment against an Egyptian god. Three gods had something to do with nature or the sky. Isis, serapis and nut the sky goddess all three of those gods had something either with nature or with the sky to deal with in the egyptian deities and god said i'm going to send this heavy hail so surely if your god is real he'll be able to stop it you won't have to worry about it but this will be hail that has such as has never been seen Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man, on every animal which is found in the field, and which is not brought home, and they shall die. Now about now we should be asking ourselves a question. Didn't we just read a little while ago about a pestilence that wiped out all the livestock? So, where did livestock come from? The judgment that we read before was a judgment about all the livestock that were where? In the field. All the livestock in the field. Any livestock that was not in the field, that was put away, that they would have been spared uh, of the pestilence. But, if that doesn't explain it, if you were an Egyptian and you were Pharaoh and all your livestock just died, and all the children of Israel had livestock, and they were your slaves, where would you go get some more livestock? Yeah, hey, hey, I, I know you think that it was cool that your God spared your livestock, but I'm taking it. Now it's mine. That's my livestock. Somehow the Egyptian got the Egyptians got more livestock. One of those two is probably the way that it would have run. And so they gather up the livestock. The Lord says, now when he gives them a warning, he's giving them a test. Doesn't he give them a test? If they believe his word, what can they do to escape the judgment? Just put them in take them out of the field put them inside you put your livestock your servants whomever under cover, and you're going to be safe if you don't believe me and you leave them out in the field they're all going to be destroyed when god declares a judgment like that who is responsible when the judgment comes and they die when God lays out for us His plan ahead of time, and God doesn't change His plan, God's going to accomplish His plan. If we don't believe God's Word, and we fall under that judgment, wasn't that an act of my own free will that put me in that place? Wasn't that my own choice? Make, I could have pulled them in, but I opted not to believe God. And so I find myself in a place of judgment. Well, look what happens. So, he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. The people begin to believe. They're beginning to receive the word and be obedient to the word and acknowledge the fact that the Most High God truly does Reign in heaven and in earth, but there are still others that are proud, right? But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand again, who is it doing the work? Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt... All that was in the field, both man and beast, the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. So again, God makes a distinction. And you know, if you you want to do a careful study considering these plagues, as you read through these plagues, then read through Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Because you're going to see them again. Those same plagues coming in the different judgments that we read about in the book of Revelation. Particularly during the trumpet judgments. We'll see many of those same plagues. Particularly hail mixed with fire. Now most commentators, most scholars say that the fire that's mixed with the hail... Is talking about lightning strikes. as a fierce storm. Now on record... In the United States, last time I checked, the biggest hailstone was two pounds in a storm. Two-pound hailstone will do a load of damage, falling from <laughs> the heavens. You know how hail's made, right? So rain falls, the wind catches it, pulls it back up into the clouds again, and it freezes. And each time it gets pulled up into the clouds and brought back a little lower, it gets bigger. And bigger and bigger and bigger till it can't be pulled back up anymore and it drops to the ground. Now, two pounds of the biggest in the United States, that'd make a mess out of my car. Or oh, or my motor. I hope I'm not riding a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be even worse. Two pound hailstone to make me park under a bridge right now. But you know that what does the book of Revelation tell us about the hail that will fall then? Hundred pound stones. 100-pound hailstones. Actually, they measured 100-pound hailstones in the Bikini Atolls following a nuclear test. When we were still doing nuclear tests above ground in the Bikini Atolls, when the bomb went off, it drew water from the ocean, threw it so high up in the atmosphere that it would come back down as 100-pound hailstones. Pretty amazing. Frozen hailstones in the midst of a nuclear blast. Nonetheless... We see this hail coming on Egypt. Listen, what do we need to recognize? Does God know how to preserve His own? Because He knows how to preserve His people, doesn't He? Does He know how to raise His people up? Does He know how to strengthen His people? Does He know how to develop their character? Can He protect His people? We see it over and over again as we look at the book of Exodus. Then will He do the same for us? All the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes, and amen. The Bible declares that to us, so the same thing that we see God doing for the nation of Israel will He do for us? Will He protect us? Will He watch over us now, in the beginning, did the plagues fall on them too? Sure, it did sometimes doesn 't it land on us too that the rain falls on the evil and the good? The Bible tells us, but it doesn 't change the fact that it 's God who 's reigning and ruling on high. We can trust Him. And so this judgment comes. And in the land of Goshen, there is protection. There's always going to be that protection, that hand, either walking us through the plague together or covering us in God's house. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, Well, I have sinned this time. Really? Just this time. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. And my people and I are wicked. So, is this true repentance? I wonder, huh? Is this true repentance? The Bible tells us to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Words are cheap, right? It's real easy to say, I'm sorry. We all learned it when we were kids, huh? Remember, for all those fellas, when you'd be playing kickball... And you come running around third base and you just know you're going to score and the catcher just happens to be that little girl that's teacher's pet that always does everything right. We'll just call her Kathy. (laughs) And you're coming around third base and you're coming in and, and Kathy's got the ball. She ought to be smart enough to tag you and get out the way. Don't you think? But no, she just stands there. And what are we taught to do? You blow up the catcher if the catcher's in the way. So we just blow right on through, and the ball goes flying over this way. Kathy goes flying over that way. And you think you just scored a home run. Until the teacher comes. And she says, grabs you by the ear. I don't know if they do that anymore, but grabs you by the ear, and they bring you over to where little girl's crying. Now you tell her you're sorry. Did we mean it? I said it. Uh, I'm sorry. Will you let go of my ear now? But was it godly repentance? Was it godly repentance? Listen, the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy three five that there are many people who have a form of godliness, but what? Deny is power. It looks all godly from the outside. But the proof is in the pudding, right? And so we're going to see that In the fruit that Pharaoh bears, real shortly, we're going to be able to tell whether or not this is godly repentance that he's talking about. I have sinned, and the Lord is righteous, and my people are wicked. So entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough, I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Sounds good, right? So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord... The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's but as for you and your servants I know that you have not yet that you will not yet fear the Lord Okay what just happened Guys Moses just made a huge step where he believes the Lord over the words of Pharaoh God said Pharaoh's not going to let the people go until we get through all ten plagues. Now, Pharaoh, he's trying to sound good. He's trying to sound righteous. He's trying to sound like the other guys. And, and you know, it, it kind of feels good if we think we're gaining ground. But Moses stands by the Lord. No, God said he's not going to turn, so it's not real. God said that he's, not, that he's not going to fulfill his obligation to let the firstborn of God go. Until God takes his firstborn. And that's not this. So you see Moses is learning what? To believe in God's word. So important. So important. Because isn't God going to direct Moses? And what if Moses didn't think, thought, well, maybe God didn't really literally mean that I should go to the Red Sea. Maybe God's saying I should go to the Sea of Reeds. You know, it's a lot shallower there. And in case we have to cross, it'll be a lot easier. But no, he's going to follow specifically the word that God gives him because he's learning to receive God's word and put his hope and his faith and his trust. He doesn't trust Pharaoh. He trusts the Lord. Even if it looked good, he's going to stand by what the Lord has said. Now, verse 31, it says, Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spilt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain uh, was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And what? He hardened his heart he and his servants so the heart of pharaoh was hard neither would he let the children of israel go as the lord had spoken by moses moses is learning through this experience as he goes through this experience he's learning that god is true and every man is a liar we believe that god's word is true it's never going to lead us astray. It's never going to take us to the darkness. The Bible tells in Psalm 119 that, that thy word is a, a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. That God's word will guide us and direct us through life if we'll receive, if we'll hold on to it. And so Moses is beginning to learn this. Chapter 10, now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart in the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him now we just read what did it say it said pharaoh hardened his heart but god said i have hardened pharaoh's heart over and over and over again guys throughout the scriptures we're going to see the sovereignty of god work hand in hand with man's free will that's called god's providence that god is able to work supernaturally in the natural that God's going to give Pharaoh a choice that Pharaoh's going to make the choice to harden his heart. And at the same time, God is going to harden his heart because by his foreknowledge, he knows Pharaoh's choice. All those things working together in two verses back to back. Well, that doesn't make sense. It don't have to make sense to us. I I don't know. I'm one of those kind of guys. I don't have to know why it works. I climb on my motorcycle and I push the second button over and it starts. Why? Don't care. I turn it on, push a button, boom, it's running. When I turn that little thing on the right, it goes faster. Why? Don't care. I just know it's a problem if it doesn't work. <laughs> and then I take it to somebody smarter than me who knows why it does what it does. I don't have to know all those things. I can trust the Lord. I can trust God. I fully and completely believe in the sovereignty of God. That God is indeed in control of everything. And I fully and completely believe every man has a choice. And I believe the Bible teaches both. Throughout the scriptures, the whole counsel of God will bear it out. Well, how does that work? Well, I call it dynamic tension. I call it dynamic tension. Both are true at the same time. It's what, what holds up the Golden Gate Bridge. Maybe you've heard that before. Or the, or, the, or the river of truth runs down the middle. All those things fall far short of being able to understand how I can have free choice and God can be sovereign at the same time. But God said it in His Word, and I believe it. And I trust Him. And I will receive God's word, and I will allow God's word to do that perfect work in my heart. Verse 2, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt, that my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. What's he telling Moses? Make sure you teach this to your kids. Have you shared with your children about the the things God has done in your life? About how God has moved in your life? Do they know? Do you teach it to your neighbor's kids? Do you teach it to the kids in Sunday school? Because somebody's got to tell them. Some of them kids don't have a a mom or dad that they're going to go home to that's going to just straighten everything out for them. They come to Sunday school for that, right? And God puts, puts that call on us, doesn't he? Train up your children. Train them up in the way that they're supposed to go. And it should fall on all of us when we have an opportunity. I had a blast at VBS. I might have looked a little bit goofy doing the whole dance thing because I don't have much rhythm. But I had a blast and I had a great time sitting down with the kids and telling them the stories. And being challenged. To, to take this story in the Bible and put it in, a, in ways that they would understand, that they could grasp onto it, that they could hold onto it. And that's what God's calling Moses to do. Teach it to your kids. I used to laugh because the Bible says to take the Word of God and make it as frontlets between your eyes. So the children of Israel built this box called a phylactery, and they rolled up this scroll, and they put it in this box, and they strap it on their head. And I thought, wow, that's kind of... You know, a real literal interpretation of putting the Word of God as frontlets between your eyes and, and as a, a, on the back of your hand, phylacteries on the back of their hands. But think about this. What, how long is it before little Johnny says to, it probably wouldn't be little Johnny, but anyway, he says to his dad, Dad, what's that big box on your head? And what is it? Teaching opportunity? God said that His Word should be as frontlets between our eyes. And an opportunity to teach their children. What was all the feasts? We're going to see them established as we go through Exodus. What was the Passover? But an opportunity to teach the children about what had gone before. With the feast of tabernacles. The, the feast of trumpets. All of those things were opportunities to teach the children these stories that we're reading. How God delivered His people. And this is important to the Lord. So Moses and Aaron in verse 3... So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They will cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they will eat every tree which grows up for you out of your field. They will fill your houses, the houses of your servants, the houses of the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. didn't even wait for an answer. Turned and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go. Make a compromise. Let all the guys go. Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So his people want him to make a compromise. But they're not even willing to do what God is asking. Let the men go. Let the men go. How many times in our own journey with the Lord, our own exodus, departing from this world, trying to walk in that other world, that new man trying to enter into that victorious, the victorious Christian life, how many times are we faced with similar compromises? Uh, it'll be OK. Just, just let them do it. It'll be OK. Just leave your kids behind. It'll be OK. just do this or that or the other. Compromise. No compromise. We will not leave one hoof behind. And anyone who has any kids knows the feeling of laying in bed at night and wondering, you know, how's my son doing? How's my daughter doing? Did I do enough? Did I tell them enough? Did I show them enough? That's how God guarantees it, that we'll always pray for our kids. Because they don't ever reach an age where they get to stop being our kids. They're always that. And we want to always keep them before the Lord in all we do in every way, laying them before Him. And hopefully, given the example, not making compromise, standing firm on the Word of God. Well, Moses and Aaron were brought up to Pharaoh, and he said to them, "'Go and serve the Lord your God.'" Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, "'We will go with our young, our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks, our herds. "'We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord.'" And he said to him, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh says, well, it's not safe if you take your kids. It's not safe for your children to to be here or there or to go be a part of this. Leave them behind. Just let the men go. Well, then they're driven out. They don't get an answer. Okay, I'm done talking to you. You may leave. And off they go. They run off. Well, and the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the, of the land, all that the hail is left. So Moses stretched out his rod. Again, it's Moses. Over the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day, and all that night, when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. You guys ever seen a swarm of locusts? That's another thing you don't want to see from the back of a motorcycle, by the way. (laughs) Them things will take you clean off the bat. I did a little bit of research on them. Uh, A swarm of locusts one kilometer by one kilometer, thousand meters or 3,000 feet by 3,000 feet, roughly. Uh, A swarm can hold anywhere between 40 and 80 million locusts. Now, I was looking on the news, and they actually have a swarm right now in Somalia, which is 6 kilometers long. So that is a little over 3 miles of... They actually had pictures of it on video. Just can't hardly see anything, just for all the locusts everywhere. So, how much does a locust eat, you ask? Well, I mean, I tell you, a locust eats about two grams a day. 80 million locusts in one square kilometer, six kilometers long. Wow, that's a lot of food. Doesn't take them very long before everything's gone, and the Lord said, "This is a swarm of locusts such as has never been. There's never been a swarm of locusts like this." Yeah, he, you know he liked them, locusts and honey, but I don't know if he anybody gets sick of locusts after a while. So, the locusts are coming. The locusts are coming. So. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand, and here come the locusts. And the locusts went over all the land of Egypt, and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. So it's worse than anything that has ever been seen what came into Egypt. For they covered the face of the whole earth, So that the land was darkened and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. So then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. He's in a hurry this time. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore please forgive my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So is Pharaoh real? God says no. God says his heart is hard. God says he's not going to turn until the firstborn is gone. He's not going to change his ways. And look at what Pharaoh's saying by his own words I have sinned against the Lord, who? Your God. Not his. I have sinned against you. Please entreat the Lord. Your God. Now I know when I read the stories in Daniel of Nebuchadnezzar and of, and of uh, Darius and Cyrus. When we read about how they came to a real relationship with the most high God. They always called him my God. God the most high. When Nebuchadnezzar posted his statement throughout the whole kingdom. That he had put his faith and trust in the most high God. Which is Daniel chapter 4. Was his God. Not Daniel's God. And so we see the same thing going on here with Pharaoh. Oh, your God, your God. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away, blew them into the Red Sea, and there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. God makes darkness a distinction who was the god of the sun the highest god of their deity ra ra which was pharaoh incarnate and now pharaoh is powerless to bring light to the nation of egypt god turned out the light the bible tells us that god is light and in him there is no shadow of turning No change, that God is that light. What if this darkness that may even be felt was just simply God removing all of himself from the land of Egypt and letting them experience three days without God? No light, just darkness that could be felt. No one would leave their home. No one could talk to anyone else. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like a description of hell. Minus the the fire, and the burning, and the tormenting. But that place of utter darkness, outer darkness, utter separation from the true and living God. And so we see this darkness upon the whole land. Verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said to him, Let your flocks and your herds be kept back, but let your little ones also go with you. Well, you leave all your treasures here with me. But you go worship the Lord. You go worship the Lord. Leave your treasures in the world. Sound like a good idea? Jesus said, where your treasure is, what? That's where your heart's going to be also. That's where your heart's going to be also. So Pharaoh's saying, leave your treasures here. Keep your treasures in the world. When we want to make that step away from the world, when we want to step into that victorious christian life we don't want anything as a chain pulling us back to the world do we be set free from all that stuff my my possessions used to possess me now they don't now i possess them that's all god's saying that it would be not the other way around that your treasures don't have you. You have them. Moses is going to say, I'm not leaving them behind. They're not a part of the world. They're mine. They're, they're coming with me. So Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock all shall also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. Even we do not know with which we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face you shall die. So Moses said to him, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Coming down to the last plague. The last one. The one in which God said Pharaoh would let the people go. And it's that last plague that God wants us to really examine, really look at, really consider. Because what? It's a foreshadowing, it's a pattern of what God would be for us. That covering. That covering. Well, as we consider what we've gone through with the nine plagues, we consider all the compromises that Pharaoh's offered and the fact that Moses stood strong by the Word of God, I think the message for us tonight is that we would learn to do the same thing. Stand strong in God's Word. Stand strong in His power. Don't look to make compromises with the world. If this is where God's calling or what God has called or the direction that the Lord is leading, believe God. Trust Him. Trust Him. Put your faith in Him. No compromise. No compromise. We want to experience that victorious Christian life. We want to cross that Jordan. We want everything that God has for us. We want to learn from their example. We want to make headway. We want to be in that place where we, like Moses, can put our faith and trust and know God's Word is going to come true. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that you give us, Father, to come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, God, that you declare in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, that your word is always going to accomplish what it was sent to do. That every piece, every letter, every space, everything about the word of God is important for us to study, to devour To ingest, to make a part of our life, to take it and apply. Lord, we just ask that you would just move in a mighty way through your word tonight. We pray, God, that you would help us to see in the in the tragedy of Pharaoh and his choices. We pray that you help us to see the 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 faithfulness of Moses. We pray that you help us see the the issues that the children of Israel are going to face in their climbing up and falling down we pray that you show us the god who is indeed long suffering and extends so much grace toward us god i pray that we would hold fast to the words that paul gave that all these things are given to us as examples that we would grow that we would learn about you and father as we learn about you and we apply the truth we pray god that your truth would set us free. So Lord, we lay this evening at your feet. We thank you and praise you for it. We ask God that your spirit would work as perfect work in our hearts and lives as we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.